As I've shared before, but we are making our way through this book. We're looking at this as a new way to live, a new way to do life. As followers of Jesus, we're now a new creation, as Paul said in chapter 5. And there's a new way to do life, a new way we do relationships, a new way we do conflicts, a new way we do everything. Uh, in chapter 8 and 9, Paul's going to show us there's a new way to give, a new way we do generosity. Now, let me just kind of back up a bit. Last week, Jim kind of showed us, and if you kind of caught it so far, Paul had to deal with a lot of different conflict and issues between him and the Corinthians for, based off the last letter. And so he's kind of tying up some loose ends and saying, listen, I love you guys. You've repented. You didn't have worldly sorrow, you had godly sorrow. I love you. Titus spoke of this. And it's just a lot of kind of like in-house stuff. Now he's saying, okay, we got that settled. Let's move on. Let's move on to some other topics coming up. And so in chapter 8 and 9, Paul's going to talk about a need with the church in Jerusalem and talk about how all these churches are getting together and they're trying to meet the need of the church in Jerusalem, meet the needs of the church in Jerusalem. And chapter 8 and 9 is actually the longest portion of scripture uh, that deals with giving and generosity. So if you're new, welcome. For the next couple of weeks, we're talking about giving and generosity. So uh, it's funny, I just imagine next week it's like half, half the crowd. But for the next couple of weeks, we're talking about giving, generosity, just living that way. And honestly, this is so beautiful. It's one of those things we're looking back for me over the last three and a half years of doing this, about a couple hundred sermons. I think I've preached twice fully on just giving. And that's not something I want to boast in. In reality, when it comes to like our spiritual development and our spiritual maturity, our spiritual formation, just radical generosity is so important to our Christian growth. When it comes to growing as believers in Jesus, sometimes this is the last thing we grow in. And it's understandable when you think about just the history of maybe even the American church, there's been a lot of maybe hurt or pain or abuse on the topic of generosity and giving, a lot of misunderstanding, maybe what seems like begging or pleading, like, please give, and it just comes across and it just kind of hurt, I think, even this next generation coming up. You know, I think there's a more cynical spirit and attitude as soon as you, you just say the word giving, generosity, living this way. It's kind of like, well, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to use it? You know, we see people today in 21st century buying $65 million jets. I mean, that is, that is, there's some really sinful, disgusting, despicable things that have happened in the church. We have to acknowledge that. We have to say that is completely wrong. And I think we have to acknowledge what it's done to the, even the younger generations. It's interesting. Barna Research Group came out with this. Uh, it basically interviewed, you know, millennials, next-gen boomers, and basically asked the question of how generous do you see yourself? Are you a generous person? I found this really interesting and kind of funny. Millennials tested, that's me, but they tested the highest in how they view themselves as being generous. They said, we are the most, they view themselves higher than next-gen, than boomers, all that. Or not next-gen, what is it called? Um, Gen, Gen X. They viewed themselves just like, we're higher than that. But when it came to practically giving, they gave the lowest. <laughs> we thought the highest of ourselves, but in reality, we gave the lowest. My thing is this probably because in a lot of ways, we've seen hurt and pain, and every generation's seen that. And I really think when it comes to generosity, this can be it's such a touchy subject and such a personal subject, because in reality, for many of us, this is our little G God that we don't even know it's our God. And this is one of those things where I see constantly in my life. God is kind of having to remind me and push me towards generosity. Not just giving here and there, not just being consistent and yeah, I'm good in this area, but truly living a radically generous life. Paul is going to call them in this chapter to excel. He uses the words excel in giving. I want you to thrive at this. I want you to be known for this. This really is such an important part of our spiritual development 
talking to different mentors and leaders in my life, I mean, this is like one of those number one like evaluations. How do you know God really has a grip on someone? It's like, well, they give up the, mo- the, most, the thing that's most important to them, and that's usually their money. When you really see people begin to say, you know what, Jesus, I don't want to just give you my life in word only. I don't want to say, Jesus, my sexuality is yours, my time is yours, my energy is yours, everything's yours, but not my finances. I mean, this is sometimes the last thing to go, and God's like, no, no, I want to be Lord of all, Lord of all. Now, this is one of those things, again, that can be abused and manipulated, and that's not the heart of this. The heart of this is not to guilt anyone by any means. The heart today is actually get to the gospel, how the gospel motivates us to give. I want to be really clear. The, God, God constantly cares about the hearts. All God is looking for, really, is he's looking at the heart of man, right? And so motivation matters. And obviously, motivation matters when it comes to money. It doesn't matter if you're generous with your money, but your heart is not generous as you're giving it. God cares about our heart in the process. So the goal is not how can you give more. The the goal for us is how can the gospel of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, have us give in such an extravagant, joyful, cheerful, sacrificial way that only the gospel of Jesus could do. And let me just give a little precursor and preface. If you are not a believer in Jesus, by no means we want your money. We We don't want you to give a thing. We only want you to receive. If you are here, we just want you to receive Jesus, know Jesus, believe in Jesus, trust in Jesus. Jesus is the greatest giver there is. He's given us the gift of salvation and eternal life, and we just want to believe in him and know him. And by no means do we have any expectation from anyone that way. At the same time, if you're a follower of Jesus, there comes a point in time where God's like, you've given me everything but this one area. And he's trying to work on that area of our lives. And Paul is saying, Corinthians, I'm just calling you to a higher standard. Look at what these other churches are doing around you. Let's do, let's join in with them. So uh, we're going to read chapter 8, verse 1 through 9, and uh, we'll pick up in chapter 8, verse 1. So why don't we do that? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that he, uh, that he, as he has started, so he, he co- should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I, see, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the word of the Lord. Listen, we're going to talk about giving, so let's just pray. (laughs) Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for who your son is. God, we just thank you so much for the gospel. We thank you, God, that you gave your best for us. We know the grace of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, that though he was rich for our sake, became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich, spiritually rich, rich in heaven, just rich in eternal life. 
God, that we would be clothed with your righteousness. Jesus, we just thank you for what you gave up for us. We thank you for the sacrifice you made for us. God, I just ask that in this process, as we just talk through your word, that your spirit would shape us, that your word would shape us, that God, you would accomplish what it is you want to do, that it would not be about a certain amount or anything like that, rather than just your heart, Jesus, that you'd have all of our heart. And so we just ask that you'd be here, that you'd speak and move in your name. Amen. Amen. Oscar Wilde said, when I was young, I thought that money was the most important thing in life. And now that I'm old, I know that it is. Uh, this might be some of your thoughts when it comes to money. Uh, maybe when you're young, you, you've had this view. You know, this just raises the question, how do you view money? Like, how do you view finances? How do you view giving? How do you view generosity? How does, how does South Florida view money? How does South Florida view wealth? How does it view this? What is money to you? Obviously, money communicates something so much more. Money, there's usually a story attached to it. For some, money just means success. If you have money, you're a successful person, and the goal in life is to be successful. For some, money just means security. Like, if I have money, I have security. I have security in my future. You know, money usually does tell a story or just reveal our heart idols in the process. Even when we sit down with every couple who's about to get married, we spend some time talking about money because this is usually the number one or two fight in most, argue, in most marriages is this idea of money, finances, whether it's maybe giving or maybe just spending. Just this is something. So that's Oscar Wilde's take on it. Here's what Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 9. Uh, he says, those who desire to be rich fall into a temptation and a snare into many senseless and harmless desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. This is interesting. Those who desire to be rich. Now, I want to just be really clear. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. In fact, many believers in Jesus had a lot of money. I mean, you can look at Abraham. You can look at just, I mean, if you start throughout from beginning to end, and there's incredibly wealthy and successful Christians who had a lot of money. Money is not evil. Money is neutral. It's really, again, money's a neutral tool. It's the heart, the heart that controls, the heart that controls that hand. And you think about money, you go, wow, money can be used for a lot of good. It can build wells in just poor countries that have no access to clean water. It can build missiles in other areas, other, other parts of the world. I mean, you just think about what money is. Money is a very neutral thing, but it does expose the heart. And you think about what is your desire here? You know, I think of what the, the psalmist says. He says, if riches increase, do not set your heart on them. Like if God were to, how do I not set my heart on this? How does this not control me? How does this not own me? It is interesting. Obviously, the Bible speaks a lot about money. I know you know this, but it just does. Actually, 25% of Jesus' uh, teachings in some capacity reference money, stewardshipness, greed, covetousness, use money as example to communicate some spiritual thing. There's 30 parables Jesus gives that we have, 30 parables, and 19 of them, he uses money to some extent. He uses stewardship to some extent. 19 out of 30. I mean, just imagine if 19 out of 30 messages had to do with money when you came here, right? Like, they, you wouldn't come. My, my point is, the Bible speaks about actually over 800 times, 800 times for in the beginning to the end, the Bible talks about money in some capacity, finances, in some way, in some form. Why? Because the Bible does realize and knows this truth that we should realize and know is that so often our spiritual life and vitality is connected to how we view money. It's connected to how we give, like, it is so important. This is such an important area of our spiritual life and development. The scriptures know, listen, when it comes to reading, we know that reading and prayer is a part of our spiritual development. We know that fasting is a part of our spiritual development. Serving, we know all of these things, but giving 
Paul's trying to say giving is such a big part of our spiritual development as we grow, as we mature. So again, it brings up the question, how do you and I view money? You know, I think there's a misunderstanding of this topic. I think we, I just quoted 1 Timothy 6.9, but 1 Timothy 6.10 is probably more well-known and probably the most misquoted verse on this. Here's what it says in verse 10. It says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness. Now, it doesn't, it, people say uh, money is the root of all evil. No, it says the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, one, I don't want to, we do abuse a verse. We'll say, you know, money is the root of all evil. No, it is the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil. I don't want to downplay the other part of it. I mean, it still is a root of all kinds of evil, the love of it, the love of it. And so I think what God so often is after is after our heart in the process of this. Is this the thing that we are living for, waking up for, breathing for? Solomon, really the wealthiest man of his time, maybe even ever, who had all the money, said this in Ecclesiastes. He says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. He who loves money, you're not going to be satisfied. It's never enough. I, I don't know why I think I remember this quote. I could be totally off right now, but just forgive me. It's on my notes. I think they asked Rockefeller at one point, I forget his first name, you know, um, how much money do you need to be happy? And he said, just a little bit more, right? Just a little bit more. Like, it's never enough. Just a little bit more. And see, he who loves it, he goes, we'll never be satisfied. You're pursuing something that could never satisfy you. You see, I think so often, again, the Bible talks about money, greediness, covetousness, these different things, finances, stewardship, even saving well. There's not always a negative tone on money. A lot of it talks about the wise person saving money for their children's children. Like there's something good that, that God can use us for greatly, but it's the love, it's the desire that so often we fall into this trap. And so we want to talk about that. And here's why I'm bringing this up. So often the Bible's response to our love for money is saying, listen, uh, the best way to kind of remove greed out of our lives is through generosity. The best way that God deals with our just heart for want security, for wanting more, God deals with that by saying, hey, give. Like, as you give, you'll find more security, more peace, more satisfaction. You know, what water is to fire, giving is to greed. And this is how the Bible just speaks of it and views it. You know, it's really interesting to me. Um, I brought this up, I think, before, but when Jesus was speaking of greed in Luke 12, he said this, listen, Jesus says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Notice this, beware, beware. This is really one of the only sins Jesus is like, hey, you got to beware of this. You know, the Bible says about sexual sin, it says, flee sexual sin, flee sexual morality. But when it comes to greed, it says, beware. Here's why. Everyone always thinks someone else is greedy. Poor people think rich people are greedy. Rich people might think poor people are greedy. I mean, you kind of have this, the left is greedy, the right is greedy, this person's greedy. Everyone thinks someone else is greedy. And really, Jesus is saying, no, 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 this can lie in all of our hearts. Beware. Beware. This isn't for someone else. Like, if you think today this doesn't apply to you, like, I don't have a lot of it. You don't have to have a lot of it to be greedy. You don't have a lot of it to not be generous. The point is, this can plague all of our hearts in some capacity. And what is God ultimately after? Is God ultimately after your money? No, God is after your heart. And I want to be really clear. I think the way God gets to our heart is saying, hey, the best way you can really even show or reveal, or you've seen that heart transformation is God, this is yours. And so as we walk through this, 
as we talk about this, Paul reveals to us what generosity is, what it looks like, and really the ultimate motive behind it. So three points today as we walk through our text. We're going to see the model of generosity, uh, the means of generosity, and the motive of generosity. The model, the means, the motive. The model, the means, the motive. Uh, we're going to walk through our text, and he's going to show us the churches of Macedonia being our model, our example of how we are to be generous. You guys ready? Yeah? You guys okay right now? Okay. All right. Uh, Let's look at verse one. Here's the model, the model of generosity. And by the way, let me preface it with this. This teaching, by the way, will not be super complete. Like I won't be able to cover everything because there's more verses next week and the week after. I mean, we're going through chapter eight and nine. Um, So we're we're not going to cover everything, but hopefully we'll cover what's here well. Verse one, Paul says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Let's just stop there. The model of generosity. Um, let me just bring up the context again. The church in Jerusalem is suffering. They're going through it. Now, the church of Jerusalem is like, that's where it started, right? If you think of Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's poured out. People come to know Jesus, believe in Jesus. You read Acts 2, it's actually incredible. People share all things in common with each other. Like if there's a need that needs met, that's a beautiful, that's really what generosity is. There's a need that needs to be met. Within the body of Christ, there's a need that needs met. That was happening in Acts 2. There came a point in time, though, there's, there's persecutions. The church in, in, uh, in Jerusalem is really just going through it. There's a famine at that point in time in Jerusalem. I mean, they're really suffering. So Paul is going around to different regions, different churches in Macedonia. Like, where is that? That's northern Greece, really, modern day. And the churches there would be Philippi, Thessalonica, like the book of Thessalonians, the book of Philippians, Berea. There'd be multiple churches there that Paul would go around to, and he's collecting funds for the needs of Jerusalem. Now, just so you know, the last book, 1 Corinthians, Paul brings this up in chapter 16 and chapter 9. He's talking about meeting the needs in Jerusalem. It's like a year later, and he's going, I just want to follow up on that conversation. Remember that conversation about giving a year? He's like, I just want to follow up on that conversation from a year ago. And he goes, I want to talk about the churches. Look what they're done. Look what they've done. Look at the grace that has been given to them. And he's really referring to the, now these churches and saying, do you want to be a part of this? God is moving. God, the God is working. Do you want to be part of this grace? Now, I find this really interesting. Look at verse one. What does he call this? Because I don't want to just move on. He says, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Notice that he calls their generosity about the grace of God. He, he so attaches giving and generosity to grace. We have to see that in Paul's mind, there is no doubt that the gospel produces generosity. Grace produces generosity. He was, I want you to know about the grace among these churches in Macedonia. You know, giving is truly an act of grace. When you think about what giving is, you're showing grace on that person, on that need. And he says, I want you to see this. So here's what verse one through five kind of walks us through. It shows us what generosity is or what generosity looks like. So let's kind of break this down. All right, here's the first thing we see. Generosity from our text, we see this. Generosity is sacrificial. Generosity is sacrificial. Again, look at verse two. He says, in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Listen, generosity is a sacrificial. Paul says, out of their poverty, out of their affliction, they gave according to their means. And he says, and I can even testify, above and beyond their means. They went above and beyond. I mean, this is kind of the point where, this is what generosity looks like. It's not just sacrificial, but generosity does hurt a little bit. I mean, it's easy to give out of excess, it's easier. It's not always easy. For some, it's really hard, actually. 
But you think about those giving out of affliction, out of poverty. You think about like the financial crisis we had as a country in like 2008. And imagine at that point in time, just going, no, we're going to give above and beyond, out of affliction, out of poverty. We're going to go, we're going to give more actually out of less. You know, it's interesting. Um, this was brought up how in the 1920s during the Great Depression, people gave about 3.3% of their income. 3.3% they gave during the Great Depression. Right now, people give about 2.5% of their income. That people gave more out of the poverty and out of their affliction than out of success. And Paul's saying, this is what, this is what it is. Ge- true generosity is sacrificial. You know, if you want to like, the question is, how much should I give? Like, do you feel it? Does it maybe change your day to life? Do you have to go, you know what, this will change how I live or how I spend. I am actually going to say no to some things for the benefit of others. And see that generosity, that's what true generosity is like. Well, let's just talk about this because this usually brings up the question of tithing. Like, well, what does the tithing look like in the Bible in the New Testament church? Let me just say this. The word tithing, first of all, in Hebrew, the word tithe in Hebrew just means tenth or one tenth. The idea of the tithe and just under the Levitical law, you had to bring one tenth of your possessions really just to fulfill the needs of the priestly ministry specifically. The law goes on to talk about bringing another one tenth of your possessions to fulfill actually the Israelites' festivals, feasts, those kind of things. And then at other times is maybe 3% more towards needs to like to brokenness within the community and maybe 5% more at other times towards needs and brokenness in the community. The idea was for the Jewish people, they gave about 23 to 28% of their income. And then amongst taxes on top of that later, that came from usually whoever's ruling them at that point in time. But according to the Jew, how the Jews really carried and lived out their life was about 23% of their money going to the community. Now, I don't say that, like, so that's the goal. The goal is 23%. No, that was just under the Levitical law. I, I bring this up because I know that I want to say, what is the New Testament's perspective on this? The New Testament necessarily doesn't talk about the tithe as much as grace giving or generosity. The idea that this is not law, but God wants to see this motivated from the heart. Now, let me say this, actually. So for me growing up, and I've had a different experience. My experience, my dad's like, hey, listen, um, this is just what you do. My first job at Ruby's at a restaurant. Ruby's was like a diner in Southern California. Uh, like, hey, you give 10. You give 10%. Uh, for, from a young age, that's just kind of been ingrained in me and give 10%. Now, I'm not saying that to boast in. I've been able to tithe, but I haven't been very generous. I want to say this. If you think tithing's harder, I would challenge you and say, I, I actually believe generosity's harder. You know, it was easier for me to tithe than it is for me to be generous. It's easier for me to go, okay, that 10%, that's yes, yours, Lord. But when you think about just criti- like radical, the book of Acts, this, this kind of generosity, this is going to be different than 10%. It's funny how I love how I, I sit around Christians a lot of times. And they're like, the Bible does not say to give 10%. You're like, you're right. That is not a command in the New Testament for us. But if you think that under grace, we give less, I don't know if you understand grace. And I think this is one of those things that is hard for all of us. Cause I go, yeah, it's so easy. It's easier for me to give 10. It's way harder for me to be generous. And the Bible says, Hey, I'm calling you to generosity. And I don't know what that looks like. My wife and I have to pray over that and have to decide what does that look like for us. Different seasons, too. We have to go, how can we maybe more in this season? You know, we, we give to the church. There's other nonprofits we have in mind and how we want to bless. And we view that as our offering is just above and beyond. There's different things like that. I think there's some misunderstanding as well when it comes to tithing. You know, it is funny. When you think about tithing or just giving maybe to the work of ministry, the, the building up the church, what, what the New Testament equivalent is going to say, we want to make disciples. We want to build God's kingdom. We want to meet needs that are among us. Okay, when you think about that in a New Testament way, I think sometimes we have this mindset like tithing means I give God 10%. Now, I know that's kind of like the mindset. Like, I'm God, God, you should be pretty, like, I'm giving you 10% of my money. I think that the Bible does something different where it's like God's like, no, no, you know, I'm letting you 
keep 90%. Like, like all of this is mine. All of this is mine. Hey, the job you have, the money you make, your skills, your intelligence, all of that is an act of grace. I worked so hard for that's the grace of God. The grace of God that you have a mind that actively works, a body, a body that actively works and functions. That is the grace of God. All of this is mine. I, I let you keep 90. I think that is something we have to see. Jesus does speak about tithing, by the way, and actually he does affirm it. And that might be surprising to some people, but here's what it says in, in Luke chapter 11. Here's what it says. Uh, Jesus, speaking of this, says, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, but you pass by justice and the love of God. These you have ought to have done, but without leaving the others undone. The issue with the Pharisees of their day was like, there's boasting in the tithe. We tithe everything. We have an herb garden. I'm going to tithe 10% of my herbs. They did that, right? Like, whatever you grow in your garden at home, I want, we want 10%. No, like that's how much they boasted in. Like, we tithe everything. And Jesus says, you know what? What are you Pharisees? You tithe, sure, you tithe your, your herbs. Good job. He goes, but you pass by the justice. You, you pass, you know, Micah 6, 8, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. You've missed the point. You, people are broken and needing the street, but you're boasting in your tithe. You're missing the point. And the phrase that sticks out is, these you've ought to have done, sure. Yes, you've ought to have done. Like he affirms the tithe. He affirms what they're giving. He goes, but don't pass by the way to your matters. Like he affirms it. Like, yes, you're allowed. You should. Good job. Good job. But you still miss the point. My point is, I don't want us to miss the point either. I don't want people to be giving, but they miss the point of even why they give. Or in the process of giving, they forgot the heart of it, what, what God is trying to do in them and in others through giving. We don't want to miss the heart of it by any means. The point, though, is Jesus does affirm it, but he calls us to more. He calls us to more. My argument today is not that you should be giving 10. That's not my argument. But my argument today is that God ultimately just wants you and wants your heart and wants to be number one in every area of your life. And so often God is number one in every other area of our lives, but money might be the last thing to go. And this is what he is speaking into. Listen, generosity truly is sacrificial. There's gonna be times where you feel it. You think, you think the tithe is hard? I'd say generosity is hard. You think it's, oh, 10% that's hard. I'd say, man, it's harder to be generous. To be generous the way the New Testament is constantly walked in it, constantly put it. How the church, and let me just say this, by the way, because I want to actually focus on this. I am so blessed by our community, with our little church, and how I've seen you guys be generous in phenomenal ways. And I want to share some of those in a little bit, but I'm just, I, I'm not, this is not some guilt trip by any means. I really believe the gospel of grace has motivated you in some beautiful ways, and, and even more than income, or even more than finances, to be a really generous people, which I'm so thankful for. But what is God ultimately after, after our heart? And after that, do we feel it? Do you sense that? Out of their poverty, out of their affliction, he brings up. We'll keep going. Number two is this. Generosity is done with joy. Verse two says, their abundance of joy. I'm, I'm going to actually just wait to comment on this until like next week, because we'll get this in chapter nine, verse five and six. But he says, you gave, like these churches, they gave out of the abundance of their joy. So we'll just kind of save that for more next week. Then it says uh, in verse three, beyond their means of their own accord, meaning this, generosity is voluntary. Let me just say generosity is voluntary. He says they gave beyond their means of their own accord. They wanted to do this. All right, generosity should never be like manipulation or force into doing something. It's almost like, I want to do this. Like, that's what true generosity is. You want to be a part of this. You want to do this. No one should ever feel like you have to give. We don't, God doesn't want you to, to give out of obligation. Know that. There's not like, if you are giving out of obligation, God does not want that. He wants it to be this response of joy and this response of voluntary. We'll keep going. Generosity is a privilege. Look at verse four, how he says this. 
Verse 4 says, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This is funny to me. They're begging us. You know, usually, obviously, we get a like, bad rap. The churches in America get a bad rap. It's like, people, like usually leaders begging, like, we beg you to give. Like, you see that on TV, and you're like, oh, this is ugly. It's hard to watch, right? This is the opposite. It's that people go to Paul and say, we're begging you, let us give. And he's like, I'm concerned. Like, you guys actually don't have a lot to give. They're begging us. I, I, I picture Paul. Why, why do they have to beg? They probably have to beg because Paul's like, no, no, you guys need this. Like, you guys need this. Like, there's also famine there. There's, they're also going through it there. There's also persecution in Berea and Philippi and Thessalonica. There's also persecution there. There's also needs there. And Paul's probably like, I'm a little hesitant. That's why he sees that they're imploring us. They're begging us. Because why? They viewed it as a privilege. Generosity is a privilege. And then number five is this. Generosity is an act of worship. Because I love this phrase in verse five. Notice this phrase in verse five. It says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. They gave themselves first to the Lord. This is key when it comes to just giving or generosity. Give yourself first to the Lord. God truly does not want your money. He truly does want your heart. And he says, they gave themselves first over to the Lord. You know what the Lord wants? He wants you. He loves you. Do you think that like one day, like you get to heaven and be like, wow, God, you guys gave this much on earth? Oh my gosh, it's a lot of money. Like he's not gonna be impressed by it. He just wants you. He just wants you. They gave themselves first over to the Lord. That's why so often churches and church tradition, usually during worship, before at the end, they'll pass the plate of some kind because giving truly is an act of worship. Even though that might have offended some of you, I grew up with a, a church where we passed the plate. We passed this little, like, they had two handles, like a bag. We passed that, and it was just a time of worship. And honestly, part of me really does miss that. I miss the idea of during worship, like, thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to me. You've given so much to me. And then during that, I get to give a little bit to you. Thank you. This, what is this to you, God? But thank you that I get to be a part of this. And it was that. It's an act of worship. They gave themselves first to the Lord. That's so key. So this is what we see the model of generosity is. Now, number two, not as long, but let's just spend some time on it. We're going to see the means of generosity, the means, how they did it. Look at verse six, verse six, the means of generosity. He says, according, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should con- complete among you this act of grace. Again, it's called grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. The means of generosity we see is to excel at it, and it's through love. We are to give through love, and we are to excel at this. One more time, verse 7, just to hear this. He says, as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in your love for us, see that you abound in this grace also. He's like, man, you guys abound in everything. You guys are diligent. You're hard workers. Your love for us, it's clear. You, you abound in so many ways. Now I want you to abound in this grace also. This is not a command. This is just more persuasive. Like I see that you've grown in these areas. You know, let's just talk about this. When you maybe got saved, when you gave your life to Jesus, Jesus has over time or maybe even immediately set you free from maybe different habits, patterns, addictions, just strongholds in your life. Maybe for some of you, there's some people in your life you thought you could never forgive. I could never forgive them. They've hurt me so much. And then you just see in your spiritual life, you're forgiving people who've hurt you deeply, hurt you wrongly. Maybe you've just grown in other ways. You're fighting for community. You value that. You're seeing all this progress and growth that was happening in the Corinthians. He goes, but now see that you grow in this way also. He's like, you're growing in all these ways. I just, I, we want to see growth and we want to see you excel in this also. 
Like, it's great. Good job. You're growing, but don't forget to grow in this area of your life. Don't forget to grow, grow and again, in this area of grace. Over and over again, by the way, it's just littered with the word grace. It's just all about grace, because that's what this is. Giving is grace. And he says, now excel in this. I think about for my son, like, I want him to, you know, think about the phrase, like, excel in school. I want you to excel in this area of your life. It's like, I want you to stand out. I want you to be really good at this. Paul's like, I want you to stand out. I want you to be really good at this, at this idea of giving, of generosity. I want you to stand out amongst all the others. Like, excel in this now. You've excelled in so many other areas. Now excel in this. I mean, what a beautiful thing. So I guess the question is this. Am I? Are you excelling at giving? Are we excelling at being generous? Again, the thing, though, is I want to make sure, first and foremost, you have a deep, intimate walk with Jesus. And just like I want you to see you grow and be sanctified in certain areas of your life, this is just one of those areas. I, I love how Martin Luther put it. He said this. He says, there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. I think this happens. I mean, I think this is so true. It's like, man, you've excelled in these things, but you haven't had conversion of the pocketbook yet. I want to see you excel in that. I mean, the greatest example probably of this, obviously, is the woman at the temple who gave her two mites. And I just want to read that quick little story in Luke 21. In Luke 21, it says, as Jesus looked and he saw the rich, he saw the rich people putting their gifts in the treasury, probably big, expensive, elaborate. And he also saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. And he said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put, put in more than all. For all of these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. It's not the amount. A lot of times, really, when you give, you're just realizing, God, when you give, you're saying, God, I trust you more. There's a side of this when I write a check or when I, when I, when I give, or my wife family gives. There's a side where you're like, God, I trust you. Could I use this? Of course. But, you're going, but I can't put my hope and trust in this. I don't want to think that this is my salvation, that this will bring security. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not lack. And ultimately, I think for many people, myself in different seasons of life, you might go, money is my shepherd, I shall not lack. Money is my shepherd. Like, you think that this is the thing I need to be secure. No, no, the Lord. When you give, it's just a way to say, Lord, I trust you. She gave out of everything she had. She just goes, I have two mites, God, I trust you. He goes, this is extravagant giving. This is what radical giving looks like. And let me just be really clear. When I say the means of generosity, notice he goes, I want your love to be genuine. It is possible to give and be generous and do it without love. And that's not true generosity. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, a very well-known passage, listen to what he says. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, he says, if I give everything I have, you can still give everything you have and not have love. That's crazy. When I think about it, you usually think like if people give, it's because they did out of love. People give for all sorts of reasons. It's not always out of love. People give for all sorts of motives and reasons. It doesn't matter if you give all of your possessions, like he says, but he goes, but you have not love. The means in which we give has to be through love. The way in which we give has to be through love. So let me just say this, you guys, again, I'm so blessed by our community. When I think about the last three and a half years and what the Lord has done and what the Lord is doing, it is absolutely mind-blowing. You guys have met so many needs. Our benevolent ministry this year has been able to give away a couple thousand dollars to meet needs, been able to bless families with food, those in bereavement. We've been able to do a lot because of your generosity. We've been able to give this year to Compassion, Lifesong, Firewall, Lifesong for Orphans. 
We've been able to give to different nonprofits because of your generosity. We've been able to just help, just come alongside people that are just saying, I have a need. I've been a part of so many different little chats where people are like, hey, someone has a need, can we bless them? Just seeing that or hearing the stories afterwards of, oh my gosh, this person, it is so cool. To see. And I just go, that's, that's Jesus. Jesus is just moving people's hearts in all sorts of ways to give in all sorts of ways. And it is so beautiful to watch. When you get to stand, there's nothing like giving. You know, I was watching a, story, a video the other day. I don't know how it just like popped up, but like a video of a guy who basically bought someone everything like he needed at Starbucks. Like he's like, oh, I want this, get more, get more, get more. And I'm like, that's so cool. But then I'm like, wait a second. That's from his vantage point. Like he's filming himself. Like he's the one filming, like get whatever you want, man. It's on me. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. I'm like, wait a second. You know, like again, you can give for all sorts of reasons. Like the thing is like, we, we do this though, biblically speaking, out of this gospel love for people. I don't need to film it. I don't need to shout on a mountain. I don't, need, I don't need my left hand to know what my right hand is doing. And this idea of just, just give, just give out of love. Don't have to film it. Don't have to go viral with it. We don't have to get tons of, just give. And I love that this was this church. And this is what he's saying. Hey, Corinthians, do you want to be a part of this? There is something, you guys, there is something about inviting people into gen- generosity. Someone's saying, God is doing something. Do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to be part of what God's doing? And saying, like, listen, you get to partake of this. This is a privilege to be able to do this. Do you want to be a part of this? This is what Paul has asked them to do. Hey, do you want to be a part of this? I'm so thankful for what we've seen. We just posted this the other day, but just want you guys to know, like, we, we're going to try to do a monthly update. This is a new thing for us as a church, but we're trying to intentionally save for permanent space because, you know, we've seen how in the last three and a half years, how we've been kicked out or AC breaks or price rent goes up or we need this, you know, new storage unit. We're going, you know, to, we think to better utilize and steward this, we're trying to save for a permanent space. And so, uh, you know, we just updated this like yesterday, how we have right now about 430,000 saved towards a building, 30,000 last month added to save towards a building. I just want to say that's a crazy blessing. I never want to take that for granted. I go, oh my gosh, Jesus, thank you. We want to be upfront with that. We want you to see that. We want to know that. We want to, cel- we want to celebrate that. Paul's saying, I want you to excel in this. I want this to be done through genuine love, verse eight. This is the means by which we give. But here's what's most important. Number three is this, the motive of generosity, the motive of generosity. And our motive ultimately is in verse nine. Look at verse nine. Paul says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. I mean, this is the gospel. This is the exchange. This is a big part of why we're called the exchange. He goes, you know this. Now, let me just say this. You know the grace of Jesus. Do you know the grace of Jesus? Like, it's assumed here by Paul on behalf of the Corinthians, but do you know the grace of Jesus? Do you know how incredible the grace of Jesus is? Paul's like, let me just talk to you about the grace. He goes, you know it, but let me remind you that God, though he was rich, became poor for your sake, that you by his poverty might become rich. What does this mean? Let's just break this down. God was rich. He goes, Jesus, God was rich. He was rich. What does that mean? It means he had a lot of possessions. He's God. That matters to him. Do you think the gold mattered? The gold that he created matters to him? No, he's spiritually rich. He's eternally rich. Here's what it means. He's rich in glory. He's rich in love, Jesus and the Father, for all of eternity. Jesus had intimacy with the Father. He and the Father were one. But what happened? God, who is rich, became poor. Jesus, through the incarnation, got wrapped with humanity, got wrapped in the flesh. And his glory, you could say, was covered by human flesh. That he emptied himself, it says in Philippians 2, of his divine attributes or divine privileges. That he gave up this intimacy he had with the Father that he had for all of eternity by being clothed in humanity. And he says he became obedient even to the point of death, even to the point of the cross. The The point of it being that God was rich, yet for our sake, Jesus came to his very own just not to be received. It's not just financially poor. 
Yes, Jesus said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Like, yes, we get that when Jesus lived life. I love that when God came to earth, God didn't come to earth and live in a palace. That when God came to earth, he lived among just the common person. They need to find, where, where am I going to sleep tonight? He truly became poor, you could say, but not poor in that way. That on the cross, he became poor because he took on the sin of the world. He became spiritually poor, you could say, in that moment, in that period of time, because the sin of the world was placed on Jesus. God was rich, and he became poor. He took on our sin, our filth, our disgust. He, why? For our sake. He says, for your sake, he became poor. For your sake, for my sake, he became poor. That you, by his poverty, might be rich. So this great exchange of God is rich, became poor. You and I are poor. We're spiritually poor. The Bible actually says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We are not rich in glory. We're rich in sin. And so we who are poor, he says, became rich. Is that saying financially rich? No, spiritually rich. The righteousness of Jesus placed on us. And I love, this is the gospel. God who is rich became poor for our sake so that us through his poverty might become rich. This great exchange, God becomes poor. We who are poor become spiritually rich. Thank you, Jesus, for that. So when God sees you, that wealth, that rich, that glory goes, that's, on your, that's in your account. That's, again, that's given over to you. That's what we talked about in chapter 5, verse 21. That God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The righteousness of God in him is that we are spiritually rich now. You have to understand that, again, this is not because you worked for it, you deserve it, you earned it. It is just given over to you. Imagine waking up tomorrow with an infinite amount of money in your bank account, right? And that is, that is the gospel. It's not like this limited thing. You have this infinite amount of just spiritual wealth, you could say. God's in Christ's righteousness, that's in your bank account. That's how I view you. You can't lose that. That's not going to diminish Christ's righteousness. My point is, this is the gospel. What motivates us to give is, here's what the idea. God is an incredibly generous God, and he invites us into the story of generosity. Listen, for God so loved the world, he what? He what? He gave. Listen, where there is love, there is giving. If there's love in any way, there's going to be generosity. God so loved, so loved, he gave. What did he give? The best his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should have eternal life. God so loved he gave. This is what God invites us into. The story of generosity that from the very beginning of the world, that God says, I so love you, I'm going to give. And he says, do you want to be part of this story of generosity? First of all, receive that. Receive the grace of Jesus. We don't want you to give a thing. Receive the grace of Jesus. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he is rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. You know this grace. You know this grace. And God says, do you want to be part of this? You see, you know, the first sin you could say of man was greed. You can say the first sin of mankind was greed. Think about it. We're in paradise. We're with God. We have unlimited amount of food. I mean, we're naked and unashamed with this one we love. Pretty great life, right? But what, there's one thing we can't have. Don't eat of this tree. You could say the first original sin was greed. I want, I want, I, that's something I don't have. I want it. And we went from being made in the image of God to be, want, to be givers. We want to be takers. And so God, he actually becomes one of us and he takes on the wrath of our sin. He takes on our life. He takes on our junk so that we, by his poverty, might become rich. The point of this is just saying God is so generous and he invites us into this generosity. Paul ultimately, and I, just so you know, as we keep talking about this in weeks to come, we cannot move on from verse nine. Verse nine is the anchor for the rest of this conversation. I mean, the gospel is our motivation. Listen, grace could never really motivate you. I mean, guilt could never really motivate you. You know, I love one actually Scottish pastor was talking about this. 
he asked the question, why are people so hesitant to give? Why are so people so uh, just not generous? Why are people this way? And he brought up something I thought was really interesting. He goes, here's usually the common excuses I get. People usually don't give because they go, yeah, but if I give to this organization, this church, or this individual, how do I know they're not going to abuse it? How do I know they're not going to be thankful for it? How do I know they're not just going to walk all over it? I mean, how do I know they're not going to mishandle or mistreat it? And he goes, think about every excuse every person makes. What if Jesus had the same mentality? But Father, if I die and give up my blood, what if they don't accept it? What if they abuse it? What if they walk all over it? What if they don't really appreciate all that I've done for them? Thankfully, he never said that, did that, thought that, even though that's what we did. The point of, of, of generosity comes ultimately from the gospel. We can only be generous because God is so generous. If someone gives, you just go, they get, they get grace. If someone's generous, you go, man, the gospel of Jesus has so impacted their life, they can't not but give. I mean, it's just, it's just part of what we do, who we are because it's what the gospel of Jesus does ultimately in someone. That's why he talked about this different conversion. You know, you think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, that wee little man, that wee little man, was he? Remember that story, right? But you think about Zacchaeus, who's a tax collector, taxing his own people, working on behalf of the Roman government, a Jew himself. And you think about this, he wants to see Jesus. He truly does climb up in a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus is like, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight. Like, I'm going to come over to your house tonight, and you're going to, like, make me some food. And this is what happens in Luke 19. Listen to this. It says that, then Zacchaeus stood and said, Lord, Lord, look, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I, res- I will restore fourfold, fourfold. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. I love this. Jesus goes, ah, oh, he gets it. He gets it. He used to abuse people, manipulate people, take from people. Now he wants to give the gospel. Salvation has come to this home. I mean, generosity, you don't give to get saved, but when you've experienced the grace and love of Jesus, you are going to give. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. He's like, I just can't, I have to. I'm going to repay back fourfold whatever I need to do. Why? Because salvation has come to this house. When salvation comes to this house, that just happens. I have to give. I have to give back. I have to be a part of this. And he goes, you get it. Randy Alcorn says, as thunder follows lightning, giving follows grace. When God's grace touches you, you can't help but respond with generous giving. This is just what happens. It's just Okay. Paul's appeal to give for the Corinthians was by looking at the cross of Jesus, by looking at this idea of the great exchange. He's saying, hey, if you're going to give, don't forget this is what motivates you, what leads you, what guides you in this, that Jesus was ultimately the most generous, that he sacrificed for us, put, put, for, put us in a position now where we can thrive spiritually. He goes, this is what generosity looks like. You're putting yourself at a disadvantage for the advantage of others. And he goes, you know this, you know the grace of Jesus. Guys, my, my hope today is more of that the gospel of Jesus, the grace of Jesus would transform our hearts and ultimately our hands, our fingers, our lives. Just what we cling to, that God's like, cling to something that can truly satisfy you. I don't want you guys to give, I want you to experience the grace of Jesus. I want you to understand that God was rich but became poor so we who are poor could become rich, spiritually speaking. I want you to understand the gospel. I want you to receive the gospel. I want you to walk in the gospel. I want salvation to come to your home. That's ultimately what we want. And Paul, in his, in his appeal to them, is saying, and a byproduct will be you're going to join these Macedonian churches and you're going to do this as well. Don't forget the, the gospel message. Amen? Ultimately, let's just receive Jesus. Let's just worship Jesus. Let's just respond to Jesus. God is the greatest giver 
that has ever existed. No one, truly, no one will ever outgive God, ever. <laughs> He's the greatest giver and the most generous one. We will respond to him. You know, practically speaking, I just want to worship. First of all, I just want to worship. And it's weird to even do this next part. I just want to worship and go and respond to that. But I also want to say, hey, we as a church, we want to try to make clear even as this next two years, what we're trying to do, we just want to invite you into the process. We have in the table, like a legacy building table that we're just trying to um, just kind of make known ways to try to raise funds for the building, for permanent space. So listen, I'm going to make this simple. Uh, we have this little card here. It just gives creative ways to try to spread the word. Uh, we're trying to get approved by Facebook so people can give their birthdays over or whatever. Some companies or some corporations actually do matches for giving if you work at a company that will match your gift. We just want to say, hey, there actually is creative ways uh, to raise funds, and we would love to see non-believers even pay for the building through things like this. Like, we'd love to get creative with this. Um, and so we want to make this known that over the next few weeks and the next outside this wall here, you're going to see like the Exchange Church legacy. That's just like our building campaign, you could say. And honestly, like I said, we have two years. We're not hurry. We're not hurry. We're just trusting Jesus. God has been so faithful already. We know he's going to be faithful again. And we want to enjoy him and worship him. Again, by no means are we saying, you know, out of obligation, we're just praying that as the gospel of Jesus continues to transform our hearts, he loosen our fingertips a little bit on some of our goods and that we'd be able to be a part of this. Now, again, if you are just new, we don't care. We don't want that. It has nothing to do with that. We just want you to know Jesus. That's all we want. We want you to receive this gospel of grace. But ultimately, brothers and sisters, like followers of Jesus, there has to come a point in time where we excel in other things. And like this last thing, Paul's like, it's time to excel in this. It's time to let the gospel transform and move our hearts in this way. And that's what we're just asking God would do. Amen? We're going to pray and we're going to respond to God who is so generous. So let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for your son, Jesus. God, we thank you for this incredible passage. God, that you gave your son, that Jesus, you were rich in glory with the Father, one with the Father, self-existent, always eternal, never really, never created, but you entered into earth. You, you took on humanity, you took on our flesh. You emptied yourself, as Paul said in Philippians 2, that you emptied yourself. You gave yourself over to death, even the death of the cross. And we thank you that Jesus, you took us who are poor and dead in our sin and far from you, and you've made us alive. And as you say here, you've made us spiritually rich, that your righteousness is placed in our account. And Jesus, we just want to say thank you. We love you. We thank you for this grace. We want to now praise you and respond to you in this. In your name, amen. Amen. Why don't you stand and let's just worship.